Life isn't fair. So why should death be any more just? The innocent are taken. The guilty live on and on atop the wreckage of our entire world. Welcome to Creepycast. The wrong place, at the wrong time. And who invited you, anyway? Your resentful host today is me, Pather O'Gillin, author of The Call and the Invasion. I'm giving away two signed copies of the UK paperback of each. Two sets of two, that is. I will set them free like caged birds, or float them through the ocean's great garbage patch until they fetch up at your door. But only if you win. I dread to think what must happen to the losers. You can win by leaving a review of this podcast where somebody might see it. Then, pop me a note with a link to your review. Send it to pather.competition at gmail.com That's p-e-a-d-a-r dot competition pdar.competition at gmail.com The reviews can be positive or negative. It does not matter. If there are more than two entries, the winners will be picked by a random number generator, or, for the more poetic among you, by a passing angel that will interfere with my computer until it spits out your holy name to the glory of the entire universe. Now, I have one more announcement to make. This is the second last episode of Creepycast. I fully intend on doing another show soon. It'll still be stories, sort of. Just not my own stories. More on this next time. But for now, I have a young man to kill. Ready? Forever. In the memory of God. Part one of two. They would be killing Jeharam next. The high priestess had chosen Kiss the Robe Corridor for the 16-year-old's last stand. Well, not quite 16. And Jeharam would never see that birthday now. His short body trembled and currents of cool air played with his braids. Such pride he'd always had in that black hair of his. Gold wire snaked through it, tying in the amber beads a priestess had given him once. He stood there, alone, unaware of the peepholes or the panicked breathing of the one who watched him, every bit as afraid as he was. Jaharam kept pulling at his hair. He used to make such a show of his bravery in the practice yards. He took cuts without complaint and bruised himself tirelessly on the knuckles of older boys until he had learned to listen to his memories. But with no one to see him, or so he thought, he cried now for the end of his short life 
muffling only the louder sobs, lest they echo down the corridors to where the enemy might be waiting. In his hiding place, the watcher could hear the distant fighting that would soon be coming this way. It would sweep around the corner from Belly of the Holies and up the thirteen steps to where Jaharam waited to die amidst a scatter of crimson petals. Why doesn't he run? But it was already too late. A jangling sound drifted closer, distorted by the corridor. Death, vengeance, horror. The watcher flinched as Jaharam approached the peephole. But the boy had not seen anything. He was just collecting the sword he had left underneath. Gracious crumb, Jaharam whispered, then shook his head. The god would not save him, of course, nor the city with those of its women and children who had not already fled up the coast. No, this time not even the priestesses were to be spared, not even the priestesses. The jangling came closer. Jaharam shut his eyes and grunted like a beast in terrible pain. Then he somehow got control of himself enough to assume the pose of defiance, where a man rests the end of his scabbard against the ground in front of him, one hand gripping it, while the other holds the hilt, waiting to draw. When the first enemy soldiers rounded the corner, he must have looked like he had been holding that position for hours. The tears had dried on his face. The wild tangle of his hair with its gold wire glittered in light from the upper windows. The soldiers stopped in a panic at the bottom of the thirteen steps. They screamed and pushed backwards at the crowds that came on behind them. They had faced three others like Jaharam already, and perhaps three being a sacred number for them. They thought they had left the horror behind them and could finally indulge themselves in plunder. It was not to be. Jaharam, with traces of acne on his neck, and only the saddest wisps of a beard to mark him as an adult, uttered a challenge so old that only another champion could understand it. I am the sacrifice that has ended your lives. My name is Jaharam, a champion in the mind of God. The boy whirled down the stairs and tore into the invaders. The point of his sword nicked an artery here, poked through the slit of a helmet there or into the space where a ring had gone missing from a coat of mail. Every move, every single move, used the minimum energy necessary to guarantee a kill. He never lost his footing or any blood of his own. After the initial challenge, he made no further sound until a lucky ricochet sent a crossbow bolt into his leg. Then he simply grunted and fell back around the corner out of the line of fire. 
The watcher could see the boy's face again now. The calm veneer was flaking away under pain and terror. Jaharam must be tired too, younger and less hardened than those who had come before him. His thin body could not spare the blood it was losing. The barbarians charged around the corner. Of course he had been expecting it. Jaharam, like the Watcher, could remember a thousand such battles, stretching back to times when men had fought with thigh bones and fire-hardened spears. He dodged the mace of one brave enemy, while stabbing another in the unprotected groin. He took a man's eyes using the fingers of one hand. When a halberd swept the place where he had been standing, he leaped above it, spitting its wielder and somehow turning his head aside in the air as more crossbow bolts hissed by. The watcher gasped. Jaharam was magnificent. Even for one with the memories, magnificent. A young god. But his wounded leg gave way on landing and he fell sprawling on the thirteen steps. When they approached him now, the barbarians contented themselves with pole-arm strikes at his legs until more crossbow men could be brought forward. Soon they had him feathered with bolts. One of these punched into his throat, leaving him with just enough time to realise the horror of his situation. As if they knew their job was complete, the enemy held back from him, muttering prayers of relief in their language or dispatching their wounded friends around them. Some took time to rob the corpses furthest from their dying enemy. In spite of all the noise, a trick of acoustics allowed the watcher to hear Jaharam's desperate struggle for breath. I never liked him. Jaharam, preening scum. What a scum. And then, with one last rattling hiss of air, it was over. The enemy moved forward to fight over the precious sword. The watcher ran, tears on his face, ice in his veins. Palzik would die next, over in a based-before-God corridor. And then... Then it would be the Watcher's turn. The High Priestess had disliked him on sight, and it was mutual, the Watcher remembered. He had been five years old. Her eyebrows had long fallen out to be replaced with blue lines that arched too high especially for an old lady with hanging jowls and a glistening lower lip that turned his stomach to look upon it. He tried not to let it show. Mother would not like that. Besides, he'd attracted too much scorn over his own looks to hold such things against anybody else. The high priestess pinched his chin and dragged him closer. Her scowl deepened. The god could not have chosen a blue eyes. This boy is not even of our people. The child 
had felt hands clench at his shoulders. He has the mark, said Mother. Even then, she had been sick and had wanted him taken care of before she recited her life for the scribes. A blue-eyed orphan would not last the winter. But a future champion could expect to reach a ripe old age with never a day of hunger. Show me the mark then, said the high priestess. I swear, if you have tried to fool us with a tattoo, your name will be struck from the books. The watcher gasped, but his mother made him turn and lifted his tunic. He felt cold hands prod him and smelled the high priestess's perfume. But he has blue eyes, she muttered. His father is not even recorded. The boy never saw his mother again. But already the next day they started with his training. Meditation. Stupid meditation. He was supposed to reach back through the cloud of souls, seeking warriors so powerful that the god kept them close to the front of his mind. I can't see anything, he complained the first time. And the old priestess stamped her feet. Your mother lied to us. I knew it. The mark is a fake. She pulled him by the ear over to a window cut into the side of the hill. Cold air washed over him, and he was so short then she had to pull him onto his tippy toes to make him look out onto the steeply climbing streets. Tears blurred his eyes. So at first, all he got was a stew of heady smells and heard the cries of gulls and the great roar of a crowd. Look, she said. He did his eyes clearing at last, to see the stalls climbing the hillside. Directly below them, a man and a little girl offered fresh spices. But that wasn't what the priestess had meant. Over there, blue eyes, she said. Over there, the slave market. He did not want to move his head. The spices, their smells seemed so wild, so exciting to him faraway lands that he might one day visit as champion. But she pulled harder at his ear, forcing him to look. Your new home, she said through clenched teeth. Do you hear me? Your new home with the other slaves. She dumped him back on the floor. I was a beauty, a real beauty. I didn't give that up to waste my time on a fake. The Watcher ran deeper into the mountain. He stopped under a silken banner, clutching the fabric in one shaking fist. When he closed his eyes, he could still see the terror on Jaharam's face. He could hear the hopeless last breath and see bolts that dug through sinew and bone that had smashed ribs and torn at the boy's lungs. Only lanky Polzik separated the watcher from a similar fate. His footsteps took him down older passageways, where the roof grew steadily lower. Niches in the ancient stones bore sculptures of first-born children that were offered to the god in place of the real thing. Soon, 
primitive pictures replaced writing on the walls. And there were children's bones now, real ones instead of the statues. He crawled through one more tunnel until finally he reached the cavern of Wise the Humble Preacher, soon to be his grave. No, he said aloud and heard his voice echo back to him. An old rock rested in the middle of the cavern floor. Torches surrounded it, flashing off the hilt of his sword. He had been training with it for years, but he couldn't bear to touch it. He looked around wildly, trying to control himself. He could kill the men as they crawled out of the cavern. He needn't even expose his body to crossbow bolts, and in no time at all he would block the entrance with corpses. But there was another passage leading here, through a banded oak door that hadn't been opened in a generation. The enemy would find it, and it would take a lot more than a rusted lock to keep them out then. There was even supposed to be a tunnel in from the mountainside. The back door, they called it. He'd never seen it himself, although he had once gone looking for it, back in the days when he'd been desperate for a way outside. Desperate to meet Baton. He took a few deep breaths to calm himself. He reached a hand into the pouch at his side and removed a fistful of petals. Sweat stuck some of them to his skin. They looked like pools of blood. Indeed, they were supposed to. The symbolic shedding of a man prepared to die. But I'm not a man. The thought hung in his mind and he could not budge it. He had not yet made his oath before Crom. Oh, he had done so in his heart, of course, many times. The glamour of serving as champion, the adventures as he travelled the world, visiting the holy places and restoring order to them. He had whispered the oath to himself as a promise of great things to come. But dreams did not count. Nobody could say he was a man at fourteen. Nobody could demand that of him. He left the sword behind and padded back through the next two caves with their strange drawings of speared animals until he came to the last one, known as Mind of God. It's not too late, he muttered. The high priestess might let him go, might even show him the back door out of the mountain. He walked over a carpet of fresh red flowers. Scrolls lined the uneven walls, each poking from a hole carved especially for it. As many as two thousand were stored here, getting older and older as he moved back through the cave. The priestesses waited for him. They had already dressed in the shrouds they had made as children. The six women looked at him over red veils, their eyes shadowed in flickering torchlight. They had taken the holy drugs that would allow them to share their minds, to become one. They said nothing. He could not tell one from the other. Sweet Pilla, barely out of her teens, 
silent egg, the doddering high priestess herself. The holy ones stared at him until he blurted out, They're coming. They've already killed Jaharam. There's time yet, whispered the eldest, her voice like crumpling parchment, all resentment gone from it. Every champion the invaders meet frightens them further. Their delay between one and the next will grow longer and longer. They will not forget this day. The others nodded agreement and laughed, the same laugh from six throats. Were they mad? He couldn't say that aloud, of course, even now. You are the strongest, continued the old one. She had never praised him before, but with the drugs, she was not herself. She had become the voice for a single creature. They will find you in the darkest place. Do not worry, champion, do not. You will pile the room high with their corpses. You will make a legend for yourself that will terrify their children down all the dark years to come. And most importantly, you will hold them long. Yes, long enough for us to complete our tasks here. I... I am to die? Our whole city is to die. It already has. The flames beat around the sacred mountain. Our people cry out, but the god remembers our great sin and will not come. Not this time. So yes, you are to die. But... But I haven't even... The laugh again. You men, you think that is so important? Now, at this time... She climbed to her feet, spilling petals everywhere from her shroud. You will hold them for a full candle. They will come at you from all sides, but you will not run. You must not. You are a champion. A champion, agreed the others. Our best warriors live in you. A full candle, I say. The ritual needs time, but even more than that, it needs first-born blood. The blood of the last champions, and of the last priestesses too, freely given. Remember, remember those words most of all when you fight. Freely given. But why? Before today... He would never have dared question a priestess, and she stared him hard in the face now. The single creature did not like it. He could see that, feel the six pairs of eyes boring into him, hissing coming from under the veils. All things die, she said at last. Cities, heroes, all things. The barbarians will come in here. They will torture us if they can, but that is nothing. She lifted one hand to indicate the scrolls. Everything our people built is here. Every important thought. Prayers so powerful no god can ignore them. 
and explorations of the mysteries of life. Most important of all, however, is our language, for in that we are remembered as a people and it is all here. She grabbed the front of his jerkin in her thin fingers. She possessed the strength of six and he could feel the fabric of his clothing tighten about his neck. You and the other champions will keep our legend alive with your ferocity and bravery, with your sacrifice. We, she waved at the priestesses, will bring down the mountain and shatter the armies that remain in the city. But this cave will not be damaged. Our ghosts will ensure it. We will guard the scrolls until some day, far in the future, when the God has forgiven our sin. He will use the memories here to create our people again and raise us up. All right, he said, choking. You will give me your oath now? You will become a man? He felt an urge to refuse, but he knew it to be pointless. The enemy had reached Kiss the Robe Corridor and he would never get out now unless the priestesses showed him the back door. Finally, he nodded. I didn't... I didn't want to die for nothing. Nor will you, nor will any of us. Here is your oath then. Swear before the God that you will never let our people be forgotten. Swear it, swear that you will die rather than run away. It wasn't the usual oath, but he did as she had asked before turning back towards his post. Well, that's all we have for today. I hope you'll consider joining me in two weeks for the last ever, ever episode of Creepycast. It will be extra super fantabulously special, perhaps, or perhaps not, but it will definitely be something or other assuming that it happens. Thank you all for listening. It is high time that I went and ate a piece of chocolate. Take care of yourselves. Bye.